What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. John Dykes and this afternoon I'm joined by Laura Bradburn to talk about a stalemate at Celtic Park it's Celtic nil, Livingston nil. Laura Bradburn we have spoken before and during that game three massive chances in six minutes of injury time, what do you make of that as an overall performance? <clears throat> well, the, the first thing to say is uh, if you come away from a match where you've got a chance to win it with a penalty and they get a player sent off with a couple of minutes to go and still can't put it away, that's that's disappointing to say the least. I think um, I think it was just had the look of one of those games where we could have played it for four hours and we were never going to score. Um, Livingston obviously had a game plan to prevent us um, taking shots from outside the box because, as we spoke about at halftime, they know the the danger of McGregor and Turnbull and I think they should be given credit for executing their their game plan as much as they did. Um, I thought they, you know, indulged themselves in a few antics that were uh, less than honest towards the end of the game. But um, apart from that, I thought... uh, 
I thought we just looked frustratingly um, kind of like we were running through Trico today. You know, we talked before the game about how we keep tempo up and we keep the game going and, and that mm. kind of thing. And I thought we just looked like we kept running into a brick wall today. It just it, it just wasn't happening. That will come into a lot of the, the points I've been um, noting here. I watch games like this, Laura, and I think to myself, you know, with all the observations in the world, with all the stats in the world, the, the key the key here is what does Celtic do? What does Ange Postacoglu do when it's 75 minutes at nothing each on the day that we could go top of the league? You've got 11 men constantly behind the ball. You don't have the opportunity to transition from defence to attack on the counter-attack because Livingston are not attacking, basically. Mm. And we're not... We're being so selective with the, the shooting in terms of what we spoke about at half-time, 20, 25, 30 yards out, take a shot, that that's not going to create an opening. So you can see everything there. The stats are there, your observations are there, but the big, the key question is, what do you do to turn a game like that? Celtic come up against teams like Livingston um, today, time and time again domestically, and often what happens is you get a goal, floodgates open, because the opposition have to change their game plan because they know that uh, you know their game plan is basically to frustrate Celtic. Every time the goalkeeper gets the ball in his hands, take your time. Every time a Livingston player goes down, stay down. Mm. Everything you can imagine. And by the way, and this will come into the conversation, when the referee is as poor as Bobby Madden was today, that also feeds into the frustration of a yeah. game like today. So I was sitting there at 75 minutes thinking to myself, right, I'm going to be speaking to Lauren. Hopefully we can pull something out the bag in the last 15, 20 minutes here. But I'm going to have to come up with what we should have done. What we should have done better. So I'm going to be pulling in the comments as well. Michael comes in first and foremost to ask the question, why would no one shoot unless they're in the 18-yard box? Now, we spoke about this at halftime, Laura. We've got players who have the ability to score from distance. But you've noticed, I mean... Let's go back to Ryan Christie's comments earlier in the season where people were were uh, lauding his performances and in particular his shooting compared to last season. And he says, well, it's because last season we had a shoot on site policy. This season it's different. It was mm. pretty clear that it's different when you look at the, the lack of opportunities from distance today. I'm not going to say we try to walk it into the net. The problem is every time somebody shaped to shoot, to use a, a very um, commonly used phrase on the commentary, uh, there, there literally are 11 men behind the ball and you're in the final third. So they're camped in in a very, very short space. I don't think there was a situation today where someone should have shoot shot and you're screaming shoot because there simply was not that opening in the game. So the question remains, what do you do in a scenario like that? I, I totally agree. I actually thought, although um, although I think we have could be accused of what Michael's saying there of not shooting when we should have in the past, I think today it didn't really apply. I thought, I thought you know, there's only so much you can do when they're they're pinning themselves back in the box, and I think that's been a very deliberate deliberate tactic on on David Martindale's part. You know, a lot of the best goals we have scored this season have been on the counter attack, but if they've got nothing to counter, then then we can't we can't do that, like you said. I mean, I I, I can't remember the last time an opposition team camped themselves in their own half the way Livingston did today uh, for a long time. Uh, 
most teams, especially in the past 18 months, as our sort of mystique has, or, or our, our, our dominance has faded slightly, people have come to Celtic Park uh, not fearful. Mm. Livingston came today fearful and just completely shut the game down. Now, I'm not saying... I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do that. I don't believe this whole f- pro-football, anti-football thing. You do what you can to get the result that you need from the game. But in Ange's defence, I really, I, I think most managers would have struggled to find a solution to that today because they were too deep to pass around them. You couldn't counter-attack against them. They were blocking every shot that you were hitting. It was just, It was just a very, very frustrating day. It was. Now, I'm going to bring in Stephen Sloan. Are we still raving about Yakamakis? Now, what I would say is we weren't certainly never getting, we weren't overreacting to anything Yakamakis had done. But up until that moment where he's missed the penalty, and we'll talk about it, hadn't really done that much wrong, to be honest, Stephen, I don't think. And I remember, and I'm probably sitting like every other Celtic fan, wondering why he's taking it. And I remember feeling like that in the broom alone when. Samaras and Commons came together. And we've seen this a few times where there's two players wanting to take a penalty mm. and you're kind of screaming, you know, Commons has got to hit this. He was in a rich vein of form. Samaras takes the penalty and misses it. It's saved and we draw nothing each and we lost the title that year by a point. I'm not going to say that this is similar and it's different opposition, but I had a similar feeling when Yakimakis stepped up to take that penalty. Now, now, there's so much behind the scenes that we'll never know about. I mean, designated penalty taker should be known prior to kickoff, and it isn't always the case, Laura. I've yeah. seen uh, Johansson and Griffiths <clears throat> arguing over penalty. I've seen uh, Simon Lynch and Sean Maloney arguing over penalty. So Yakamakis must have been confident enough, and if you look at his stats last season, his vintage campaign in Dutch football, he scored a lot of penalties, so he's obviously got a good record. And it's great with hindsight. He tucks that away. We're not even having this conversation. But obviously the other one that you're looking at is Juranovic, who's got a 100% goal-scoring rate from the penalty spot. So you brought it up, Stephen. We will talk about that penalty. Uh, But let's talk about it in terms of the six minutes of injury time. Mm. So when that goes up and you've got six minutes, at that point, I'm not going to say I was still confident, but I thought to myself, right, one final opportunity uh, to to get this goal that that has you know that we've been chasing for ninety minutes, and I believe that the situation that got us the penalty was an interesting one to look at first and foremost. So for me, all day I thought Celtic. You've just got to look at the possession: eighty five percent Celtic, fifteen percent Livingston. However, somehow someone can maybe figure this one out for me. We've both been penalised for ten fouls. So we've got the ball for 85% of the game. So when we're out of possession, basically we're just hacking opposition players. Mm. No, it it comes down to the standard of the referee and Laura. So every single tiny little niggle that a Celtic player had, he was calling up a foul. And I'll tell you, there was a few occasions where Kyogo was on the wrong end of that. Mm. And I was becoming quite frustrated for Kyogo because I thought to myself, that's never a foul, but he was getting pulled up for it. But I thought he played a blinder with Obelai because... If you watch it back, Kyogo actually gives him a wee shove. He winds him up, right? Yeah. And, he, and basically, it's the dark arts. And, and by the way, if it wins you the game, I'm not complaining. The boy responds and we win the penalty. It's at that moment that you think to yourself, right, 
this has been a frustrating afternoon. But really, when we look back on this game at the end of the season, who cares? You win the three points, you score the penalty. Yep. And he misses. So he's getting a wee bit of stick in the comments section, Laura. What, what did you make of that? I mean, listen, he's got a great uh, penalty record with previous clubs. And as I say, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but it was a, a fairly poor penalty kick. Well, listen, to, to address the, the question from the commenter specifically, um, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place as far as these comments are concerned because you criticise a player's poor, poor performance and you're told you're too negative. You praise a player and then they have a poor performance and you're told that you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, we're offering opinions based on the, the evidence that we see. I don't think that because Yakimakis missed a couple of chances, he had a poor game. Should he have had two goals today? Probably. The fact that he didn't is poor, but it doesn't make him a bad footballer. Um, I, I personally don't have a problem with a striker whose job it is to score goals, stepping up and having the confidence to take a penalty. Uh, beyond that, I think it is like, as you say, if he scores it, we're not having this conversation. I, I don't think the issue lies in him having the confidence to take the penalty. The issue lies in the fact that he missed it and he should have scored it. Juranovic maybe could have been a bit more insistent about taking the penalty, but again, we're not privy to the conversations that are had before the match or the suggestions that maybe there's there's flexibility there f- for somebody to say, oh, I really feel like I've got the confidence to take this. You know, that's all stuff that we're not privy to, but a striker missing a penalty does not make him a bad player. Having said all of that, we can't come away from a game where a player gets sent off and we get offered a penalty and we still don't win the match. That's poor. Going back to the point about Kyogo as well, I mean, I... I I like Celtic teams to play the game as honestly as possible. Uh, and we all know Kyogo's personality. He's like about as humble a guy as you could uh, hope to to come across from the, the things that I've seen of him. But there comes a point in football where you are faced with um, a team who are willing to do whatever it is that they need to do to, to get what they need out of the football match. Livingston did that today. You know, you can call it wily, you can call it street smart, you can call it whatever. But occasionally they were going down when their players weren't injured. They were attempting to waste as much time as possible. So if we can do something in response to get ourselves an advantage, I have absolutely no problem with that. And also, Kyogo doesn't need to throw himself on the floor or doesn't need to, um, you know, do what he did if the Livingston defender doesn't react in the way he did. The Livingston defender can keep himself completely out of that situation if he doesn't react in the way he did. So I have no particular issue with it. The only thing I have an issue with is that it came to nothing. So, um, yeah, it's, I think, you know, the, the negative comments that I'm sure are coming through about the performance today are as much about frustration as anything else because, you know, on another day, if the team isn't banked in the way that it is, then I think we score goals. But it's, it was just very hard to break them down today. It was. And Obelai was one of the main reasons for that, Laura. When you, when you watch it back, I, I think if we changed our game plan in any way, shape or form today, it was probably to absolutely load that box with crosses. I mean, I counted them in the first half. There was 17 or 18. And then in the first four minutes of the second half, there was another four. So we're probably looking at, you know, upwards of 30 crosses into the box. And I think the reason we did that was uh, to use Yakimakis as a target. 
Um, to go back to what Stephen said, and we appreciate every single comment, by the way. I'm not sh- shooting Stephen down in any way, any way, shape or form. One thing I was kind of raving about um, in the the pre-match was the fact that we were utilising Yakimakis today and, and Kyogo was on the bench simply because I, th- I think it's good management of the squad. Mm. You don't expect 75 minutes in um, to have 85% possession and nothing to show for it at that stage. And that's when, obviously, you start to look at making the changes. But the, the simple thing of the, the transition, for example, Laura, and I noticed this, um, Joe Hart gets a, a bike kick, so Livingston um, knocked the ball out, and he's been doing this all season. The ball boy, like that, gives him the ball back, and it's route one up mm. to Yakamakis. Now, that isn't your, your old-fashioned long ball football. What that is, is that 75 minutes into the game, you've not been able to counter. You can't change defence and transition it into attack because Livingston haven't been attacking. So you've not been on the back foot and been able to break. And I think Hart's, you know, his experience has allowed us to to create that one one of few openings in that occasion. And to be honest with you, going back to what you said about Kyogo winning the penalty, I don't mind that. You know, if it comes from Route 1 football, we win the game one one nothing, we all go, we're happy. Um, and in the in the good moments of the season, we play exciting football. It was still a very controlled performance. Mm. There wasn't much to write home about. I'm going to bring up something that Joe Porter says. We've had a, a really tough run of matches recently. We have a small squad and we did look a bit tired. We are in this title race. I totally agree with that. I'm yeah. not I'm not going to get too... I mean, listen, I get frustrated whenever Celtic fail to win a game, no matter what competition it's in. But I'm not going to overreact today. No. We've drawn nothing each against Livy. We've seen it, we've seen performances like this before, Laura. And Joe's right in what he says, it's pretty tight at the top. And had we won and we were sitting pretty in the top of the league, I don't think anyone would have expected that when we were, you know, um and you know, pretty early in the season we'd already lost the Tynecastle Ibrox and the Tony Macaroni. This is the first team that uh knows basically how we're going to shape up because it's you know, it's the second time we've played them. I think they, they, to give them any kind of credit, although it is proper anti-football, Laura, there's no denying that, mm. they do it very well. David Martindale does it very well. Um, and it is completely anti-football. But what frustrates me above the, the penalty miss, we had another two chances after it. Yeah, We had another two chances whereby there's a chance for Forrest and then Yakamakis, both of them kind of swipe, swipe at it. And then in the dying embers of the match, Turnbull gets a chance and, and he, he flights it over. And that chance he got was from yet another Ralston cross. And we can't forget, because we're disappointed, about some of the good things in that performance. And one of the good things for me was the performance of Tony Ralston up the right. Yeah, Tony Ralston, I mean, like we said at halftime, was the best player uh, on the park, I think, um, and certainly kept that performance up in the second half. You know, he's getting to the point where we're not even talking about his defensive performance because that's as assured as it is, um, and he is offering us something going forward. So I, I, I think he's a, you know, he's probably the last person we need to talk about in terms of anything concerning because he, he really was fantastic today, um, or as good as I've seen him anyway. The, the, the chances at the end of the match, the one I, the one that I kind of couldn't believe was the Yakimakis one where it kind of rolls across him, and. The phrase, he was on his heels, gets used a lot in football, but he really looked like it. He should have been on his toes, leaning forward, looking for that ball. You can almost 
be assured that if that had been Kyogo in his position, that would have been a goal because mm. he'd have been looking for that rebound, looking for the chance coming in. Yakimakis, I don't know whether it's that he's not match sharp or he's not had enough game time, but he just looked as though he was almost surprised that it came into his path. And so that one I was a bit disappointed with. Um, and I think, to be honest... This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You know, we, we just we just looked as though even when the ball was breaking for us, we weren't going to score. The the two most encouraging bits of the second half for me, though, were Mikey Johnston and James Forrest. Mikey Johnston first was a player that just injected a little bit of um, zip into the team that wasn't there in the first half. He came on, I think, for a badder, according to the... I mean, I know he went on, on at the same time as um, Kyogo, but he came on for a badder and... Um, I thought he just had everything that Abada didn't have in the first half and was trying to take players on, trying to create chances and was successfully doing so. It's not his fault that, that those weren't getting finished off. And James Forrest came on and was James Forrest on the right-hand side. I can't wait to see him uh, get back up to match fitness and, and really um, open the taps as far as that's concerned. But it was all just a little bit too little, too late. Um, and that's not the manager's fault. I think he made the changes early, which is something that we wanted but I'm the same as you. I, I've come on here before. We were only talking in the group chat the other night about a game against St Mirren that we lost the other uh, last season where I came on and I was absolutely furious. And today, although I, I'm frustrated with the result, I'm not annoyed. I don't think we played poorly. I think we couldn't break down a team that was willing to just park the bus in every sense of the word. And some days that's just going to happen. You know, when it does happen... Um, and this is something that, again, it's a difficult one uh, to answer, I guess, when you've got such incessant pressure, you're 85-15 in terms of possession. Uh, you're, you're finding it difficult, however, to create chances, Laura. And you do have some creativity on the bench. You've got plenty of creativity on the park. Is there more that could have been done today? I mean, it's frustrating. There's some points coming in. Yes, Livy were or are anti-football masters, but that's how they live and die. They're, they're all about, they had a phenomenal season last season, but they're about staying in this league. And if they can come to Celtic Park and frustrate us the way they did today, then they've won a watch. They've done their job, and it's our job to break them down and to find a way. No filler comes in, no filter rather, this game will be the one at the end of the season. I know what you mean, because there, there are games, I remember the one I've referred to there where, Samaras takes the ball off Commons and takes the penalty at Ibrox. We lose the league. We lose the league because we missed that penalty. So absolutely, I get what you mean. But I still think uh, if anything has taught me anything this season, Laura, is don't call it too early. Because mm. the, the, the form that we've shown since beating Aberdeen up at Pataudry to get us, drag, drag us right back up, because we were sitting in sixth six place, we went down to London three or four weeks ago. We were in sixth position in the league. Mm. 
Mm. We could have gone top today. So if that's taught me anything, it is. And it's not about accepting the fact that 0-0 against Livingston is good enough, because I don't think it is. But I'm not going to overreact because we are at a stage of the league where there's quite a lot, I, I feel, in the last month to be very positive about. However, the question remains, we're going to face this again at some point in the season. What do we do to find a way to win a game like that? Um, I think what I would hope is going on um, is that for all that Ange says, there isn't a plan B that he is actually looking at a plan B because the style of football he likes to play did not would not have worked today under any circumstances. We talked about um, how we quite often play on the counter-attack and that's how we find our space and we use quick passing and pace to get up the park quickly, having got the ball back. But that can't happen if the opposition team is very rarely even in your half. So what I would like to see is a is a, a change in shape for us, a, a situation where we are, you know, got more forward players on, got a higher pressing midfield um, to try and, you know, keep pressing as high up the pitch as possible. Having said that, though, I mean, I'm I'm struggling really to 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 criticise it because they were pressing high up the park. Carter Vickers and and Starfelt in the first half were, you know, in Livingston's half. The whole team was pressing up against theirs, and it just wasn't working. I I, I think we, I, my overwhelming feeling, to be honest, with the whole situation is when you talked about going down to London a few weeks ago and us being in sixth position. If you told me that we'd come out of that that run of games with wins against Aberdeen, St Johnston and Hibs, uh, two of those being away from home and got a point against Livingston, I'm not sure I would have been all that disappointed. I'm not saying that we shouldn't beat Livingston at Celtic Park. Of course we should. But looking at it in totality, I think we've turned a corner and I think even the mere fact we didn't look like we're going to lose that at any point today is a positive to take from it. That, that's true. There was, in my mind, no danger that Celtic were going to lose that game. We were in complete control. Um, but my frustration is I, I think we are going to face a similar scenario moving forward. And I think we've got some of the most creative players in the league, Laura. And if these guys can't find a way, if they can't pick the lock of a defence, which is a loving strong, Whilst, by the way, and we'll get on to this, whilst there's a referee that's, you know, managing to give Celtic as many fouls as, as Livingston, when you consider that Livingston are basically chasing um, shadows for the majority of that game, yet we've fouled as many players as they have, I, I just don't understand that. Then my big biggest concern is with all that flamboyance, with, with the entertaining football that you get from the likes of Yota and Kyogo and Abada and then when Mikey Johnson and James Forrest comes on, we should be able to find a way. Um, it's sometimes simple to say, why don't we shoot? Yeah, why not? Because, I mean, that's what opened the deadlock against Ross County. Cameron Carter-Vickers, speculative kind of effort, it ends up in the back of the net. Sometimes that's what you need. But I think that moment, that moment where the game turns happened in the 92nd minute when we get the penalty. And that's always going to be the big talking point. I hope at the end of the season we're not referring to it as that moment of the season that uh, everything could have been different. Gary O'Hagan comes in. More teams in Livy will play that way and it is up to us to break it down. Gary, uh, anyone else out there? Gary, yourself, how do you break it down on a day like today? That is the big question, and I'm sure that Ange Postacoglu will be asked that question at the end of the game. Now, strangely enough, Laura, 
uh, a wee Nostradamus moment at the beginning of the game. We were looking at that bench and we said, you know, what if Starfield pulls up with an injury? And it's exactly <laughs> what happens. Were you impressed at how Ange Postacoglu dealt with that, though? It wasn't the obvious Welsh for Starfield, which, by the way, would have been playing Welsh out of position. Yeah, I mean, he obviously showed, you know, an ability to adapt, which is a a phrase that's been used on this show n- numerous times, and um, and to slightly change things up, I think he, I think he dealt with it the way the only way he knew how at the time, considering we were still looking for a goal as well. But as for Starfelt, um, I'm hoping it's not too serious an injury because I would hate for him to have come into the team, um, taking a while to find his feet, and then just at the point where you feel he really is getting composed and and, and looking at home in that defence for it for him to, to pick up that injury and be out for any considerable amount of time. I have no concern um, with Welsh coming in um, if he's played in position to, to replace him while he's injured, but I really hope that um, that it isn't, um, because it isn't a major issue because I don't think we can afford to lose him when, you know, Julian, for example, is not, uh, not likely to be back for any significant amount of time and Liam Scales looks like he's not um, up Angus Street, so... Um, Here's hoping. I've not heard any news yet, but hopefully it won't be out for too long. Well, th- this again is the frustration because a big part of uh, the issues that we were facing, Laurel, was the fact that Ange Postecoglou didn't have the options available to him. So there was a huge kind of like uh, turnover of staff in terms of players. But there were some games, I think Real Betis was one of them, where you're looking at that bench thinking, what on earth are you going to do? You're not going to throw in... Urigidi or, or uh, Liam Shaw, who, who have never kicked the ball for Celtic. And then you start to see the players coming back. Mikey Johnson comes back into contention. James McCarthy, James Forrest are back on the bench. You're looking forward to, to Julien coming back in. And then we lose Roger on Wednesday night. We, we lose Starfelt today. And it's almost like, you know, one step forward, two back. If, for example, Starfelt misses a few games then, you know, obviously we've got a big game next week. Who do you play there? Because I don't like playing players at a position. We've Mm. been burnt so many times, you know, with Beaton, as an example, playing at centre-half. I don't want to do that. But if Welsh plays on the left side, the centre-half, then he's playing at a position there as well. So is that an opportunity for the likes of Scales to come in? I mean, again... You've got to look at this situation and already we've got one of our defenders playing out of position. Yeah. Juranovic. You don't want to start with four defenders and two of them, you know, playing out of position. So um I hope that isn't an issue, but it was always going to be the case where you're basically uh, going into this season with a wafer thin defence. We finally find that partnership and one of them could be injured. Um I mean it is a frustration. We can't just hang off until January or until uh, Julien comes back because I, I reckon we're still waiting till the next international break before he's back. Mm, I think, to be honest, Scales makes the most sense uh, from a natural fit point of view. He's a left-footed player um, and so it would make sense for him. He, he can play at left-back or at centre-back. So I, I think he's the most natural fit. Having said that, you know, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers strikes me as the type of player who wouldn't be particularly phased if he was switched from the right side to the left side. And maybe if you do that and put a bit less pressure on Welsh um, to, to take that on um, because he's been out the team for a while, that might be another option. But we are limited in terms of what we can offer because, you know, 
beyond the players that I've named, we've not really had an awful lot of other players play at centre-back. And, and again, Beton's one that I don't want to go back to because I was only talking about um, before the match uh, and at half-time how I thought it's one of the best indications of how much choice we have in the squad that we don't have to use him at centre-back. But yeah, I totally agree. I think if if, if Starfelt's going to um, going to be out for any considerable amount of time, it's, it's an opportunity for Scales to to you know take that chance and and like stay like make a place in the team for himself because if he can't take it a chance at that point then I don't know what you know what opportunity he is going to take because that's what being at a club the size of Celtic is you might not always be in the team you might not always be um selected but you have to be available to be selected and be ready when that chance comes along you know, I think it's a, one of the big questions that uh, we will be facing when Thursday comes around. Ferenc Varos against Celtic. And if Starfield is injured, Laura, I'm going to make a prediction here. I think that um, Ange Postacoglu will indeed play near Beton at centre-half. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is, yes, he has already deployed him in that position. But as Stephen Bonbevan points out, Scales is a natural left-sided centre-back uh, fullback, yet he wasn't on the bench today. So we we actually pointed that out, and it's just by sheer luck. What happens if Starfelt gets injured? We don't have an actual replacement for him. Mm. So he was quite happy. Ange was quite happy that if that situation happened in that eventuality, that he'll just put beat on there. Uh, so going into the Ferenc Varos game, if he is injured, and I hope he's not for that match, I would actually expect him to play beat on. So we're still at that stage in terms of the uh, the depth of the squad or the lack of depth in the squad. Um, would it be a huge concern for you? Has he learned anything from the Michelin debacle? Well, on the one hand, it wouldn't concern me because I really don't think Ferenc Varos were up to much um, at all uh, in the first leg. I thought they were one of the most average teams that I think we've played in Europe for a long time, to be completely honest. And so, you know, from that point of view, it's not concerning. But I don't think that's how you should play football matches. You shouldn't you shouldn't anticipate that a team's not very good and so you can take chances that you wouldn't take against better teams. I don't think that's how you should play. You should always be looking to, to put out the best version of your team that you can put out. And for me, any version of a Celtic team that has near beat on at centre-back is not the best version of a team we can put out. Um I have to admit, though, given you know the lack of flexibility Ange seems to have at times and his his choices and the decisions that he makes, I'm inclined to believe what you say as well that that like Beaton is probably going to be the option. But then that leaves us with another issue because if that happens, you've got to look at who's going to play in that defensive midfield role that he played in today. Do you yeah. bring in McCarthy who? Um, hasn't had a great impact so far. Do you bring in Sorrow, who, yeah, we all know um, can be a bit of a wild card with tackling? And let's not forget, this is an away game in Europe where we um, haven't fared so greatly in the past. So regardless of the standard of the opposition that we think we're facing, we need to make sure we're putting a quality team on the pitch. So it's not even just about uh, the position of the player who's injured and how he's replaced. It's about how it ref- reflects and affects your selection throughout the rest of the team because it could have a real knock-on domino effect in that sense. 
Yeah, it's a disappointing afternoon for Celtic. There's a few comments coming in um, asking if uh, we are a version of Pravda, if there's some kind of club propaganda going on here, simply because we're not overreacting. Absolutely not. I'm as gutted as anybody whenever Celtic fail to win a game, uh, particularly when we could have gone top of the league. I'm not happy with massive, massive issues at Celtic Football Club. I'm not going to sit here and be an apologist for the club. I mean... You know, there was a group of fans today who had a protest, a silent protest for 30 minutes. And when you're looking at that, they're protesting for a reason. There's a lot of things that I and other Celtic fans are unhappy with at the club. So I'm certainly not going to sit here and worry about the impact of anything that I say in relation to that performance today, um, you know, when it comes to what the club might think, because I'm giving you my honest view. That's a disappointing result. Um, at the end of the season, if we lose the, the league by a point, uh, or two when you look at our goal or goal difference yeah we will look back on it but it is early days and I think we've seen enough improvement in the month of October to suggest that uh, you know we are on the right road and this is just a wee bump in the road um, at this moment in time we've yet to beat Livingston after two attempts that shouldn't be the case I'm slightly concerned about Thursday uh, particularly with a couple of injuries there like you say it's, it's a, a two-pronged issue if you do move beat on back you, I mean you're throwing McCarthy in there uh, who is just coming back to fitness. Sorrow would be coming in from the cold. That's a concern. Our very own Kevin McCluskey will be at the game in Hungary. Um, uh, so we'll see what we can do in relation to that in terms of some kind of uh, reaction from him, Laura. But yeah, on a disappointing afternoon, I've got to thank every single one of you for tuning in uh, on the various platforms. If you are watching on YouTube, get yourself subscribed because tomorrow, I think it's Halloween, um, there's three prizes going out to um, three lucky subscribers simply for subscribing free on YouTube. You might be in to win an Etive watch, beautiful watch from a Scottish company who are manufacturing their own uh, brand and watches. We've also got a Bobby Lennox signed framed print, beautiful frame. Um, what's the third prize? Oh, yes. Bend it like Bertie, two tickets to the show in Greenock. So, Get subscribing on YouTube. We'll be back on Monday at 12.30. And if you haven't done so already, go onto the YouTube channel and watch last night's interview with the one and only Brian Chalky McClear. All that's left for me to say is thank you once again, Laura Bradford, for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only. 
right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.